Man, that takes me back. That's one of our professors. Every every day in class, we started class with that song. He would just come in and, and then we'd take off. It's kind of fun. College days. Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 21 this morning. We're continuing our series through the book of Matthew. And man, we are making progress. We're in chapter 21. This is the... 40th message in that series, in case you're curious. Uh, It's been a while. Matthew 21. If you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, you can go to the more and then events. And then the notes are there along with the verses. And you can take notes in there if you like that. But there was a a man and a woman who'd been married for years and years and years. And he was slipping in and out of a coma. And she was sitting at his bedside and this had been months, you know, he'd been laying there in bed and uh, she stayed by his bedside every single day. And he came to and he had kind of a, a real clear moment and he motioned for her to come over and he said, you know, you've been with me through all the bad times. You know, when I, when I got fired, you were there to support me. When my business failed, you were there. When I got shot accidentally, you were there. Uh, when we lost the house, you gave me support. When my health started failing, you're still by my side. And you know what? She said, what, honey? He said, I think you're bad luck. <laughs> so, don't say that to your wife, gentlemen. So as a public service announcement, next Sunday is Mother's Day. So uh, if you say things like that, this is a chance to earn back. But, you know, um, Jesus was really into relationships. Uh, Jesus loved ministering by relationship you know he walked with his disciples he uh, he brought kids to him and and did ministry there jesus was involved in the lives of people but there were also people that jesus didn't care so much for uh, he loved them but he didn't like the things that they did he didn't like the way they they treated people and in matthew 21 we're going to see one of the great great scenes this is one of those like you ever wish you could have been there to see things happen This is one of the ones I would have loved to have seen. Now, right previous to this, in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, we see Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. We call this the triumphal entry. And we celebrated Palm Sunday a couple weeks ago where we celebrate this. Jesus came in and people were yelling. They were cheering. They were starting to get that Jesus was the Messiah. They realized something was special about Jesus. And remember, even the kids were shouting, Hosanna. To the one who comes in the name of the Lord. People were laying down their cloaks. They were waving palm branches, which is a sign of royalty. So they realized that Jesus was something special. So now in this passage we're going to read, Jesus comes into the temple. Now, in the temple courts, people were milling around. There was always activity going on. And people had to make sacrifices. So they came in, and if you didn't bring your own sacrifice, guess what? You could buy one. You had to pay a temple tax. It had to be in a denarius, a certain type of currency. If you didn't have that currency, you from another country, guess what? You could change it there for a small what? Fee, right? You know, if you didn't have the right sacrifice, you could buy one for a small fee, right? So what happened was the temple had, the courts had almost become sort of a what? A marketplace. Jesus was a little bit unhappy about that. If you've read the story, you know, he's a little more than a little bit unhappy, right? So Matthew 21, starting in verse 12. Now, real quick, uh, there was a book called Max 
maximum masculinity, I think is what it was called, something like that. But a guy said that Jesus was kind of like steel covered in velvet. You probably heard me use this illustration before, but if you bumped into Jesus, if you just kind of slid next to Jesus, he was real soft, right? You know, with kids, he was very kind, very gentle with people who were sinners. He was very kind and gentle. Uh, people that wanted to follow him, he was very kind and gentle. But if you bumped into him, guess what? He could be hard. He could stand up. He knew what was right. He knew what was wrong. And he stood for that. He wasn't a pushover. And so I kind of get frustrated when you see these little pictures of Jesus doing this, you know, or doing the feminine sign, you know. Jesus wasn't like that at all. Jesus could stand up. And this is one of the times we see that Jesus was righteously what? Angry. He was mad. But he was mad for the right reasons. So Matthew chapter 21, verse 12, it says, Jesus entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. Another one of the stories in John, I believe it is, when they tell the same story, it says that he actually got a whip made of braided rope and was chasing him out. How fun would that have been to see, you know? Yeah. So it says that he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves. So what do you think happened? Money goes flying all over the place. Doves take off flying off. I mean, this was a great scene, right? It is written, he said to them, that my house will be called a house of prayer. But you're making it a den of robbers. Now, he didn't probably say that gently. I mean, he was probably yelling this, right? I mean, Jesus was upset. The blind and lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Were those guys supposed to be there? No, in the temple. And he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. So what did Jesus do? He cleaned house, didn't he? Jesus set things right the way they were supposed to be. Jesus made the religious people mad. That was one of his specialties. He was really good at that, right? He really upset the system. To make it what? Right. Jesus was making it right. So we see here that Jesus got in there and he had a purpose. He had a purpose for the cleansing that he did. Jesus came in and he made things right. He made things fit. He put things back in order the way they're supposed to be. So we see here that, that what Jesus did, the reason he did this, there was a purpose behind what he did. It wasn't just to upset people. The temple had lost its meaning. He realized that the temple had lost its meaning. People were turning the temple into what? A marketplace. They weren't coming there for the right reason. Now, some people were. There were people still going in to make sacrifices. They were still going in there to meet with God. But a whole bunch of people had turned the temple into a market. Jesus said the temple is supposed to be a house of prayer. And I believe it's Mark's version. Jesus said it's supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations. Everyone is supposed to come here to meet with who? God. To come and to, to fellowship with the Lord. But they come in and made it a den of robbers. Now that word den of robbers, Jesus said, a, a kind of a different meaning. Not only were they robbing people, but he said they were nationalistic. They were there because they were making money off people. In Jeremiah 7, 9 through 11, the Lord's talking to the people of Israel and said, Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, 
Burn incense to Baal, which is another god. And follow other gods you haven't known. And then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, we're safe. Safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I've been watching, declares the Lord. That's where Jesus got that. He said, you've turned it into a den of robbers. Basically, he was calling them nationalist rebels. You're Jewish, but you're Jewish for the wrong reasons. You're rebelling against me. You're taking my name in vain. You're doing all these things and you think you're safe because you're in the temple. He said it kind of become a stronghold. So here's the thing, guys. These people came in here and they knew what they were supposed to do. They were selling doves and changing money for what? For God. (laughs) For profit. They were doing all the Jewish things, but they weren't doing it for the Jewish reasons. Right? They were nationalistic. They were good at being religious. But they were serving ideals instead of serving God. Do people ever get that way in church today? Yeah. We're really good at saying all the right things. We're really good at showing up every once in a while. We're really good at, you know, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, brother. I'm doing great. You know, we're good at the words, but we lose the meaning behind that. You know, we, um, I have a friend, he lives in St. Louis now, but he's a, an Episcopal priest. And so he was in Colorado, same time I was. And we had a really great relationship because we were both Cardinals fans, you know, and we would, well, you know, we had that in common and we were both pastors, but I really enjoyed hanging out with him. And we had totally different views on some things of God and the way that we should worship, but we focused on Jesus, right? But I went over to his church one day and I was just kind of hanging out. We were going to have a meeting there and I got there a little bit early and I was kind of walking through and I said, well, what do you do here? What do you do here? What's this for? You know, what are all these different symbols? And he started telling me the meaning behind the symbols. And you know what? It was really cool. There were a lot of good symbolism there, a lot of great things. But he said, you know the problem we have? And he said, we have these great symbols, but we lose the what? We lose the meaning. He said, we're really good at doing all the right rituals, but my people forget the meaning. You ever notice they always have red doors on their churches? You know what that's for? It's supposed to remind you that you can only come to God through the blood of Jesus. He said, when they walk through that red door, they're supposed to remember that. But he said, you know what? It's just a red door for a lot of them. It's just kind of our thing. And so, guys, we have to make sure that we're not losing the meaning behind this worship that we do. We're not losing the meaning behind why we come to church. We're not losing the meaning about why we come and we read the word. Don't do it just to do it. Do it because you love Jesus. These people, they had lost the meaning. And then they had missed his heart. They missed Jesus's heart. Who were these people taking advantage of? The ones who traveled from far away. They were coming to worship. That's why Jesus is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. They were taking advantage of people who were traveling a long way to worship. And it was a lot easier just to come and buy your sacrifice than to drag it from another country. You know, they didn't have a trunk on the back of their donkey they could put it in. They had to, had to carry it. So, or they had to lead it. So, they were coming and they missed it. They were extorting people for profit. Jesus didn't mind them making a little bit of money to help them. But what were they doing? They were taking advantage of people. Charging big fees so that they could do what they were supposed to do. They started extorting people in the name of serving God. I found this great quote 
They said Jesus entered the temple area. Temple service required provision to be made for getting what was needed for the sacrifices. Animals, wood, oil, especially for pilgrims from afar. The money changers converted the standard Greek and Roman currency into temple currency in which the half shekel temple tax had to be paid. But letting these things go on at the temple transformed a place of solemn worship into a marketplace where the hum of trade mingled with the bleeding and cooing of animals and birds, especially on the great feast opportunities, extortion abounded. Jesus drove it all out. Jesus realized they were taken advantage of. They missed the whole reason behind it. They missed his heart over and over again. Jesus said, we're supposed to do what with people who come in, love them, care for them. Not take advantage of them. So that's why Jesus got mad. He said, you're missing the point of this whole thing. God allowed them to have this little market out there so people could get what they needed. But they were taking advantage of them instead of helping them. So they missed his heart. They, they lost the purpose. They missed his heart. And then we see that they had a misplaced faith. Jesus talks about the temple is supposed to be a place of prayer for all nations. But they turned it into a what? A den of robbers. And in that verse in Jeremiah that I read, they said these people, they came, but they're putting their faith in the temple, not in the Lord. Did you catch that? They had faith that they were safe inside the temple because it was God's house. But what were they doing there? They're there for their own reasons. One commentator called it a premier symbol of superstitious belief that God would protect them. And what did Jesus eventually say about the temple when he was there? He said, it's going to be destroyed. He actually went so far as to say there wouldn't be one brick left on top of another. And guess what? It was destroyed later on. Do you ever wonder why God allowed his temple to be destroyed? He could have protected it. Why did he allow that? Because they lost the point. They worshiped the building instead of worshiping the Lord that they were supposed to be. They had this idea that as long as we're here in the temple, as long as we're going through the motions, God will protect us. And the Lord said, you know, no, it's not what it's for. That's why Jesus went in and started tearing things apart, chasing people with whips, flipping over tables. He said, you've missed the point. Do we still do that today? Absolutely. We see people that never talk to Jesus. They get scared. What do they do? Right? <laughs> so I don't think I did that wrong. They start crossing themselves. They hang angels on the rearview mirrors or crosses. I've even seen guys, they sell little bells to go on your motorcycle to drive out the evil spirits. And I, I read a whole post the other day in one of the groups I'm in. They said, where do I hang this bell? You know, oh, it's got to be on the lowest point of the bike, you know, to keep the demons away. What? It's a bell. Somebody's in there going, (laughs) I'm charging $15 for a two cent bell, you know. Guys, we do this. We start worshiping the religion, worshiping the process instead of focusing on Jesus. And it's so easy to do because we get so busy. We read our Bible. Why? Because we have to. And so we hang crosses in our mirrors. We hang bells on our bikes. Why do people pray to saints? Superstition. Trying to get the protection without the relationship. And that's exactly what these people had done. They were taking advantage of them. You know, there are people, you wouldn't believe how many times people call me or message me. Hey, 
Do you guys baptize people in your church? Absolutely. Can I come and get baptized? I said, well, sure. But first, <laughs> you got to go through this thing. You have to know what it means. I don't, I don't want that. I just want baptized. What do they think it's going to do? Save them. Protect them. They don't realize that it's baptism is a sign of what? This inward change. It's a sign that Jesus is in here, not out there. So they had missed the point. That's why Jesus got upset. So how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus cleanse the temple? Well, he was righteously what? Angry. He was righteously angry. Jesus was mad. And so he came in and he started quoting scripture. And then the disciples, one of the other versions, one of the other versions of the story, the disciples remembered John 2, 17 says they remembered zeal for your house will consume me. They realized that Jesus was upset, but he was upset about what? The right things. He was mad about what was happening. He was mad at the right things for the right reasons. Is it okay for us to get mad about things? Absolutely. As long as we're mad about the right things for the right reasons. What are some things we need to get mad about? People dying and not knowing Christ. And you get mad about people being abused and neglected, right? You're mad about unborn children dying. Those are all things that we can get mad about because those are things that God gets mad about, right? Do you ever look around a society and just get upset? We see marriage being attacked. We see kids being abused. We see all these things happen. Those are things that God gets upset about. So Jesus was righteously angry. But then he used God's word in the correct way. Remember in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus got confronted by the devil? It says that Satan took him out in the wilderness to do what? To test him, to tempt him. And what did Jesus do? He responded with what? Scripture. He responded with God's word. And when Jesus went into the temple and he got mad, he responded with scripture. Now, I'm not saying take your Bible and thump people in the head with it. That's not the correct way of using scripture. That's why people carry hardback. <laughs> thump you in the head with it. Um, no, he used scripture. He quoted Isaiah 56, 7. He quoted it. And Jesus was looking forward to a time when God's house would be used correctly. And that's why Jesus came to make a way to the father. So we could get there. So we could get to him. And then he got rid of the junk. He got rid of the junk. You know, in our lives, does junk accumulate? Absolutely. You know, there's this whole, whole new show now. What do they call it? Tidying up or whatever that's on TV. And this little Japanese lady comes in and shows you how to clean out your house. And they're talking about, you know, only keep the things that are very, very valuable to you. You know, and you're supposed to make sure you connect with your clothes and all that, whatever. But she's all about getting rid of what? Junk. And in our lives, sometimes Jesus has to come into our hearts and clean house. Just like he did with the temple. He got rid of the things that didn't need to be there. Some of us need to get rid of junk in our lives. And where does a lot of our junk accumulate? Right here in our minds, right? We talked just a couple months ago. We did a whole series about breaking down strongholds in our minds. Some of us still have some of that stuff we need to do. We need to 
clean out our lives according to what God's word says about us. We need to quit believing things that aren't true about ourselves. We need to believe what Jesus says about us. Some of us have habits that we need to get rid of that are holding us back from being what God wants us to do. We need to get rid of some of these things. So Jesus went into the temple and he drove out all the money changers, all the people selling things. And then the amazing thing is who started coming to him once he did that? He said the blind, the lame, people who other religious leaders didn't like being in the temple came to him and he healed them. When Jesus got rid of the junk that was going on in the temple, what happened? Real ministry, real stuff that was supposed to be going on in the temple started happening once he cleared out all the stuff. And guys, in our lives, sometimes we allow this junk to accumulate. We start believing lies that are told to us. We start allowing habits to come in that separate us from God. And when we can get rid of that stuff, God can start using us more and more and more. I said, what were the little kids doing? They were cheering. Well, look at what Jesus is doing. This is cool. Right? They were praising him for all the wonderful things that had happened. They liked what they saw. Even the religious leaders realized there was something going on there. So my prayer this morning is that we'll get our hearts back right with God. We'll start worshiping for the right reasons. And then we'll allow God to clean some of the junk out. And there was praise for the cleansing. There was praise for what was happening. So here's the thing. Jesus cleansed the temple of things that didn't need to be there. And he allowed people in who did need to be there. When Jesus cleared out all the junk, the people who really needed God started coming in. And a lot of times, if you were crippled, you weren't allowed to go into the temple area. Remember, where would the blind sit to beg? At the gate. They didn't go in. They waited at the gate. The religious leaders didn't like it when they came in. Blind people, lame people came. Kids came in and they were excited. They were praising him. And the chief priests were what? Upset. Right? I said they were indignant. They were mad that these things were happening. Think about that. The pastors of the temple were upset that people were getting healed. They were upset that the junk that accumulated, the the people taking advantage of the foreigners and the widows got thrown out. And they were what? Upset. Why? Because some of their power had disappeared. And so when we start getting our lives cleaned up, when we start allowing God to clean us out a little bit, there are some people that are going to be upset. When we start doing things the right way, in our lives, there are people, we're going to have friends, we're going to get a little bit upset. I remember when I gave my heart to Christ and I started listening to different music and started hanging out with different people. Some of my friends are like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> They'd asked that before, but for different reasons. But they said, well, what's going on in your life? And I said, man, I, you know, I, I found Christ. They're like, you're listening to church music now? Like, yeah. Like, and so they got a little bit upset. They started putting some distance between us. But you know what? That's okay. (laughs) God took care of it. So some of us need to allow God to take down some things in our hearts, take down some things in our lives. And so the things that need to be in our lives can be there. And then Jesus exposed the theological ignorance of those who should have known better. 
The religious leaders came in and said, hey, what's going on? Why are these kids yelling this? Don't you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said, yeah, I do. And he quoted Psalm 8 too, which said, you've taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. What does that mean? The religious leaders should have known better. They should have known what the kids were doing. They should have known that the kids would be singing the praises of the Messiah. And so the religious leaders were upset that Jesus was doing this stuff. They were upset that he was allowing this stuff to happen. And, you know, sometimes we have to get past our own preferences. We have to get past the things that that make us a little upset to get into the bigger picture. You know, about 10 years ago, churches really started, well, maybe 15 years ago, churches started having big splits. Remember what it was over? Music. Churches were literally splitting. People were leaving churches because they didn't like the music that was being played. Really? Music. People were upset. I remember there was a rift over Bible translations. Now, of course, we were in the Bible Belt of Missouri, which is very staunch, you know. But there was actually a church sign advertised, we preach out of the King James Bible here. <laughs> who do you think was going to that church? Yeah. Was it people who needed Jesus? Well, yeah, but there were older folks who didn't want to change. They weren't looking, you know, somebody that doesn't know Christ. Oh, King James, I like that. Sounds like Shakespeare. I should go there. They're not saying that. They're looking for people who had preferences. Sometimes we have to get past our own preferences. We need to get past things that we don't like and focus on the bigger picture. I have a thing against skinny jeans on guys. I just, I don't, I don't know. I, I just get, I get frustrated. And I was at general council last year, two years ago in California, and all our pastors come together. I could not believe the skinny jeans and the big glasses and the hair and all that. But it's just because I'm older. It's just not my thing. You know, there are guys who love skinny jeans. More power to you, right? I'm not going to wear them. But I had to get past my preferences and see them as my colleagues. So sometimes we have to get past that stuff. There's a joke. I don't want to offend millennials, but we have to get past our differences and allow God to do his work in us. Right. We have to get past our preferences and allow God to work in our hearts. So sometimes we should know better. And then here's the big thing. They missed the significance, the theological significance of Jesus actions. The Pharisees, the religious leaders had been waiting generations for who the Messiah They'd been looking for the Savior who was going to come into the world. They'd been looking for the Messiah. And here he was right in front of them. And they what? They missed it. They missed what God was doing because they were so focused on their systems and on the junk they had allowed to come in that they missed an event happening right in front of them. They missed it. Guys, sometimes we get so caught up in the little things and in the junk we allow to accumulate in our lives, we miss what God is doing. You miss it. We get offended about things. Stained carpets. You know, we, we get offended that. Anyway, I remember we had a. When we were youth pastors. We had a young lady show up in our church. That was pregnant. 
awesome. Because she needed what? She needed Jesus. And the little old ladies, I'm sorry if you're a little lady, I'm sorry, it wasn't you guys. But this church had been very set in their ways for a long, long time. And we started having people show up. They were what? They were offended. How dare she show up here? (laughs) Exactly. Where else is she supposed to go? We had people smoking in the parking lot. Oh, they were offended. Well, it's better there than in here, right? You know, like, but, and then they, they got it. When they started seeing God changing lives, they got it. We have to get past ourselves sometimes. There's this incredible story that I found. It's a guy named Tony Campolo. I think I, I may have shared this years and years ago, but um, he wrote a book called The Kingdom of God is a Party. And he's a professor of sociology at a college in Pennsylvania, but he went to Hawaii for a speaking engagement. And I'm just going to read it because he tells it way better than I could. This is an incredible thing that happened to him. And so he checked into his hotel room, but of course his time clock was still in Pennsylvania time, not in Hawaii time. So he was hungry. So he got up to go looking for food at three in the morning. And says, the night is dark, the streets are silent, the world's asleep, but his stomach's growling. So he gets up and he goes looking for a place so he can get bacon and eggs for an early breakfast. Everything's ex- everything good is closed. But there's one little place here that was selling food. And he said this was the definition of a greasy spoon place, right? I mean, it's like he was worried about. So he got in there and he realized how dirty it was. He said, you know, I'm not really hungry, but I'll take some coffee and a donut. There were some donuts on the counter. And he says uh, he poured a cup of coffee. Wiped his grimy hands on a smudged apron and he grabbed a donut off the shelf behind him. He said, I'm a realist. I know in the back room of a restaurant like this, donuts are probably dropped on the floor and put back up. But I really would appreciate if he would have used a pair of tongs. But he used his fingers. So as I sat there munching on my donut, sipping my coffee at 3.30 in the morning, the door of the diner suddenly swung open. And to my discomfort, in marched eight or nine provocatively dressed prostitutes. It was a small place and they sat on either side of me at the counter. Their talk was loud and crude. I felt completely out of place. And just as I was about to make my getaway, I overheard one of the women say, Tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. Her friend replied in a nasty tone. So what do you want from me? A birthday party? What do you want? You want me to get you a cake and sing happy birthday? Come on, said the woman. Why do you have to be so mean? I was just telling you, that's all. Why do you have to insult me? I was just telling you it's my birthday. And here's what she said. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should you give me a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I have one now? When I heard that, I made a decision. I sat and waited until the women had left. Then I called over the fat guy behind the counter and asked him, Do they come in here every night? Yep. The one right next to me, does she come in here every night? Yep. I said, that's Agnes. She comes here every night. Why do you want to know? Because I heard her say that tomorrow's her birthday, I told him. What do you say about you and I do something about that? What do you think about us throwing a birthday party for right here tomorrow night? A big smile slowly crossed his cheeks and he answered, that's great. I like it. I love that idea. So he calls his wife who did the cooking in the back and said, hey, come out here. This guy's got a great idea. Tomorrow's Agnes's birthday and this guy wants us to go in with him and throw a birthday party for her right here tomorrow night. His wife came out of the back room all bright and smiley. She said, that's a great idea. Agnes is one of those people who's really nice, but nobody ever does anything nice for her. Look, I told him, if it's okay with you, I'll get back here tomorrow morning about 2.30 and I'll decorate the place. I'll even bring a cake. No way, said Henry. That was the owner's name. The birthday cake's my thing. I'll make it. So at 2.30 the next morning, I was back at the diner. 
I picked up some crepe paper decorations at the store and made a sign out of big pieces of cardboard that said, Happy Birthday, Agnes. I decorated the diner from one end to the other. I had it looking really good. The woman who did the cooking must have gotten word out on the street. Because <laughs> at 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. It was wall-to-wall prostitutes and me. At 3.30 on the dot, the door of the diner swung open, and in came Agnes and her friend. I had everybody ready. I was kind of the MC of the affair. When they came in, we all screamed, Happy Birthday! I've never seen a person so flabbergasted, stunned, and shaken. Her mouth fell open, her legs buckled, her friends grabbed her to steady her. As she was led to sit on one of the stools along the counter, we all sang Happy Birthday. As we came to the end of the song, her eyes moistened. Then when the birthday cake with all the candles on it was carried out, she was lost and openly cried. Harry gruffly mumbled, blow out the candles, Agnes, come on, blow them out. If you don't blow them out, I'm going to do it for you. I said, please. (laughs) But then he did. So then he handed her a knife and told her, cut the cake, Agnes. We all want some cake. She looked down at the cake, then without taking her eyes off it, she slowly said, look, Harry, is it all right with you if, um, I mean, is it okay if I keep the cake for a little while? I mean, if it's all right, if we don't eat it right away, I said, sure, it's okay with me. If you want to keep it, you can even take it home if you want. Can I? She asked. Then looking at me, she said, look, I live just down the street a couple doors. I want to take the cake home. Okay. I'll be right back. I promise. So she stood, got off the stool, picked up the cake and carried it like it was the Holy Grail out of the restaurant. We all just stood there when she left. When the door closed, there was a stunned silence in the place. Not knowing what else to do, I broke the silence by saying, what do you say we pray? <laughs> Looking back on it now, it seems more than strange for a sociologist to be leading in a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner at 3.30 in the morning. But then it just kind of felt like the right thing to do. So I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed that her life would be changed and God would be good to her. When I finished praying, Harry leaned over the counter and had a little bit of hostility in his voice. He said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. So what kind of church do you belong to? And one of those moments when just the right words came to mind, I said, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> Harry waited a moment and almost sneered. And he said, you know, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was a church like that, I'd join it. Wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all like to join a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning? That's the kind of church Jesus came to create. You know, I love that story because that's exactly what Jesus did. Who did Jesus spend time with? Sinners, lost people, prostitutes. He hung out with people that needed him. And that's why Jesus got mad at the temple, because the temple had been turned into a place of market. It had been turned into something it was never supposed to be. That's why Jesus cleaned house. And that's why we need to allow Jesus to clean us up. Say, God, I want you to make me the kind of person that would do something like that. Now, I'm not saying go find a prostitute and hang out with her. I'm saying find people that don't know Christ and show them Christ. That's what our church is about. That's what the church is about. That's why Jesus came. Somebody asked the worship team if they would come up. And we see that just after Jesus cleaned the temple, who came to him? People who were blind, people who couldn't walk, kids that needed to know him. So we're going to pray this morning. We say, Lord, would you help me to worship you the way you want me to help me to not forget what this is about? We're going to pray and say, Lord, would you help me to clean my house? Would you come in and take out everything that doesn't need to be here so I can be who you want me to be? So would you stand this morning if you're physically able?
So Lord, all across this room, we pray that you would clean house in our lives. Lord, would you help us to focus on who you are? To not get caught up in religion, to not get caught up in processes, but to really focus on who you are. When we come into these doors and we open our Bibles at home, Lord, help us to focus on who you are. We pray that you would take out anything in our hearts, our minds, our lives that don't need to be there. Lord, if we have habits, if we have things, if we have preferences that are coming between us and you, Lord, help us to be the people you want us to be. Help us to get past ourselves and past our empty religion and really focus on you so that you can use us the way you want to. So you can use us to be the people you've called us to be to reach this world for you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning, say, you know, Pastor Rex, I don't have that relationship with Christ you've been talking about. I, I would have to say I'm pretty far from God. But I want to change that. I want to be close to him today. I want him to come into my life. If that's you, would you slip your hand up right where you're at? If you're here this morning, you say, you know what? Jesus has a little bit of house cleaning to do in my life. There's some things that I want to get rid of. That's you. Would you just slip your hand up? I just want God to come in and just take some stuff. Maybe some preferences, some ideas. Father, we just pray all across this room that you would come into our lives and you would clean house in us. Lord, for all these who raise their hand, the ones who didn't, who might need it to, Lord, would you come into our lives and just clean junk out of us? Lord, take out empty religion, take out empty rituals. Take out sinful habits. Take out sinful ideas. Take out lies that we've believed. And replace them with a sincere worship for you. Lord, make us righteously angry about things we need to be mad about. Lord, make us those people who will go out and reach out to the lost, to the hurting, to the prostitutes, the sinners, the tax collectors, all those. Help us to be those people. And help us to be that kind of church.